Welcome to GMFC Studios, God's production company. Good morning. Praise the Lord, everybody. We thank the Lord for you taking time out of your Sunday morning to spend some time here with us at Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center in the studio. We thank God for this opportunity to reach out to you. <clears throat> we salute uh, our sister churches, uh, both abroad and uh, here locally. We thank God for each and every one of you. We ask that you continue to pray for us, even as we are praying for you. The city of Columbus over this, this weekend has seen unprecedented level of violence. <clears throat> it's unprecedented. Shooting after shooting after shooting after shooting. Violence seems to be escalating. And everyone in authority seems to be struggling with what it is that needs to be done about it. Last week, we were talking to you about um, how we have been empowered by God to transform the culture, to we've been planted as a seed that we would grow in our communities, first in our families, then in our communities, and then ultimately in our culture so that we would have an influence, an impact, an effect on the very culture in which we live, the very society in which we live. And last week as I began to introduce this to you, I told you that today we would begin to talk about 10 things that can be done to transform <clears throat> the culture. One of the things we have to understand is that before we can have any real hope of transforming the greater culture that we live in, we must first transform our church culture. Many churches in America today are steeped in a culture of powerlessness, accommodation, and compromise. They've been marginalized and lost touch completely with both the heartbeat and the heart cry of God, the necessity to reach people for Christ. We've become financial institutions. We've become political institutions. We've become pretty much every institution that exists in the world except the one for which we were created and that is the institution of Christ. Now, some churches may be locked in tradition that no longer has any real meaning or relevance, while others espouse faulty theology and doctrine that effectively strips them of any true spiritual authority. But whatever the case is, what I'm seeing across this country is a dead church culture that has no power to change anything and that offers nothing that contemporary Americans feel they need or want. And we can see this as crisis comes, people run to the church only to find the church is in crisis and then they go right back because they did not find the answer to their dilemma. We need to build a church culture that carries the power to transform our communities. And what would this look like? Well, I see 10 characteristics characteristics in scripture that I believe every church needs if it wants to reach people and transform lives through the power of the gospel of Jesus. 
These 10 characteristics are the foundation for this ministry as we move forward into the territory that God has given us to establish uh, his word of life in. And I want everyone that can to please take some time as we go through these to write them down. Put them on a piece of paper, put them on your tablet, write them on your, type them on your phone or however you take your notes. <clears throat> but you need to be able to go back to these things not just listen today, but go back to them so that you can constantly debrief yourself. Am I applying these things so that I can be successful in my call to change the culture that I'm in? You have to have these things ready at hand so that you can release them into your mind, study them so that they can become a way of life for you. I've adopted the moniker, this is the way. And I, yes, I stole it from the Mandalorians for any of my Star Wars fans out there. But this is the way. This is the way for the believer. You are called to be a change agent. And change is resistant. Change is hard. Change is painful at times. But change is necessary. These 10 characteristics are the blueprint for how uh, we are to run with the vision of Christ to declare the gospel in every land and place that we find our feet standing. First thing I want to put into your thought process, here's characteristic number one, forward-thinking people. We have to be forward-thinking. Too many churches seem to be consistently 20 years behind everybody else. Their music is outdated. Matter of fact, we had this discussion in a recent Bible study as to whether or not the music that we worship God with in our own ministry is outdated. Is it um, too much one uh, style, so on and so forth. But we need to reassess, make changes where change is required. Because too many churches seem to be consistently behind the curve. The music is outdated and um, <clears throat> the structure and theology that they're always trying to teach um, reach back into yesterday to prop up something that was great then. Some churches are so backwards thinking that walking into them is like stepping into a time vortex. If we, the church, GMFC, is going to be relevant we must keep up with the times. Now understand this. Keeping up with the times does not mean compromising with the times. I'm not suggesting that we compromise our witness or even dilute the message or sacrifice our Christian morals and our spiritual values as dictated in the word of God, the very thing for which God has renewed us to reflect. What we need to do is find a new and fresh way to present the timeless truth of our faith to each and every new generation that comes on the scene. Jesus said that the children of this world are wiser in their generation than uh, the children of light. And this should not be so. We must be forward thinkers. We must be innovative and ahead of the curve. We cannot keep coming up in, you know, in the behind, coming up in the rear. We, we, we should not be in the rear with the gear. 
We have to be pace setters who are always moving forward and not afraid to try new things if they will reach people for Christ. Some things may challenge our traditions, but some of our traditions need to be challenged. So I want you to understand, this is something we have to do. Number two, we need to have manifestation of Holy Ghost without being weird. Too many believers are walking around and even other believers are scratching their head trying to figure out what in the world is that? We, we need to manifest the power, the presence, the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding of Holy Ghost that God has implanted in us without being weird. And this means that we need to demonstrate our full acceptance and belief in the full gospel, all the miracles, all the signs and wonders, all the whole power of God to save, to heal, and to deliver, all that the Bible from Genesis through Revelation uh, has taught us and shown us and declared, but resist the mentality that says believing these things has to make us flaky folk. The Spirit of God can speak into our hearts at any time and in any place without us getting weird to the people that are around us. He can direct our path without our putting on scary displays of strange behavior as if we just jumped off the mothership. If God gives us a word to give to someone or to a body of people, we do not need to start it and end it with speaking in tongues as if we're trying to validate that what we are saying is from God or that we have been possessed by God and are releasing revelatory information to change lives. We need to stop foaming at the mouth, spitting on people while we are declaring the word because while we are up to our antics, People become focused on our behavior rather than the message. We have been sent to deliver the word of God to the people of God. We've been sent to deliver the gospel, the, the word of salvation, the word of grace to people who are starving and looking for deliverance. Some churches seek and welcome manifestation but don't understand how to bring it into balance with everything else. And as a result, these churches end up filled with weird, subjective, revelatory people who cannot be pastored because they place all of their visions and all of their feelings and all of their angelic visitations and all the goosebumps and all the, the like on equal footing with the word of God. And this is foolishness. Manifestation without weirdness means that we need to measure and judge all experiences against the standard of God's word. Whatever measures up, we embrace. Whatever doesn't, we don't. There is more than enough manifestation with the real thing. We don't have to make up anything else. Just stick around God long enough and you will see miracles. You will see signs. You will see wonders because God is a wonder worker. But he can also do all these things in and through us without making us behave in a weird or strange manner. Stop being 
weird. Paul said if, if somebody was to walk into the church and everyone's running around speaking in tongues, people would think we all lost our minds, and rightfully so. Come on, church. We need to get it together because the culture that we are in needs change, and it cannot change if the culture of the church doesn't change. Number three, and, and I know that this frustrates some people because we all have an excuse why we seem to never be able to get this one right, but number three is being punctual. Punctuality. Now, I know this is going to mess some of you up, but punctuality simply means, watch this, write it, write it down, being on time. Now, this might sound trivial at first until we begin to understand that many times the church is unable to reach its community because in the eyes of the world, church people are notorious for being late, notorious for being last, notorious for being lost. The church is the visible embodiment of the kingdom of God, that city that's set on a hill, the light of the world. Our calling is to let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. <clears throat> what kind of example do we set in the world if the world you know, looks at the church and sees the people of God as perpetually late, a dollar short all the time? What does that say about us? More importantly, what does it tell them about the God that we serve? Being late all the time communicates the message that we place little importance on what we do. I know that you know, if you're constantly, constantly late to work, there's a price to be paid. And some, some companies, some businesses, some employers, that price is very hard, such as finding a new job. Being late all the times communicates the message that what we are doing, the place we are at, has really little importance on uh, anything else. We don't really care enough to even show up on time if we show up at all. Think of all the church folks that you know who consistently come traipsing in 15, 20, or even 30 minutes after the service starts. I know because I look at the analytics that we start at a certain time and, and I'll be completely open. We have been late once or twice in the past, maybe two, three times in the past, maybe a few times more than that, but always because of technical difficulties, not because we just decided to roll out of bed 30 minutes late. But when I look at the, uh, the uh, analytics I can tell when people are actually tuning in. And we can't even tune into a broadcast that, you know, maybe we like on time. What would happen if we acted like this on our jobs? What would happen if our kids were always late for sports practice or the music lessons that we take them to? What would happen if we were consistently late with your mortgage payment or your car loan or your rent payment? Punctuality at the church shows that we consider what God is doing important enough to show up where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there. 
Punctuality is a virtue of princes. As members of the body of Christ, we are also members of God's royal family. So punctuality should be one of our virtues. Punctuality says that our time is important and also that other people's time is important as well. And by striving to be punctual, we acknowledge that we each are in charge of our own time and that authority begins within ourselves and our alarm clocks. Punctuality is a sign of maturity and a level of increased responsibility. When we are punctual as a way of life, we honor God with our lives. Even as it relates to church, when you show up late, what you're saying is, either God, you'll wait on me, or God, whatever is going on, it's not really that important and I get there when I get there. Number four, if we want to change the culture of the church, we need to have participatory services. This is something uh, any member of GMFC can uh, tell you that I constantly urge, especially in Bible study. Bible study is not for me to just give you a lecture. Bible study, the whole purpose of Bible study is participatory Service. It is the back and forth. It is the iron sharpening iron. It is the uh, asking questions and seeking understanding and dissecting of the word. It's not just sitting back, letting somebody else just do everything. It's everybody involved. Now, I know that some of you show up just to see what's going on or, or what's going to happen. But what you know, you know, we have to understand is to the contrary uh, of popular belief, a church worship service is not a spectator sport. It's an audience participation event. In fact, worship has been compared to a theatrical production in which God is the audience, the worship leaders are the prompters, and the worshipers are the actors. And too many Christians come to the church and sit in the seat, never moving a muscle with an expression on their face that says, okay, I'm here, entertain me, move me, tickle my spirit. But worship is not entertainment. Now, it can be fun, and it can be extremely enjoyable, but it's not entertainment. It's not even for you. It calls for active involvement and participation from everyone, young and old, and all those that are in between. Even if it doesn't match your specific style. Now, we talk, we've talked about this in the past. Um, worship is more than music, but uh, in the sense of music or in the sense of singing, uh, worship doesn't have to necessarily fit your style for you to be involved. You cannot have the attitude that because that's not my style, I'll just sit back and wait until they do it the way I do it. Participatory services are important because we get uh, out of something no more than what we invest in it. The Bible itself is a participatory book. Throughout scripture, we see God and his people act 
actively participating with each other. God working in and through his people, delivering them, defeating their enemies, and confirming his word with signs and wonders that follow. Jesus called his followers to a life of discipleship, a participatory lifestyle of faithfulness and obedience. And this kind of life calls for the practice of active learning in which the learners are as active as the teacher. True worship is participatory because it engages all of our senses. It draws us in body, heart, and spirit let me just say, say it like this. Paul states it like this in 1 Corinthians 14 and 15. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Worship is a lifestyle. This means that we need to put our hearts and our minds in gear and get involved. The more we participate, the more God works in us. As Philip Pringle once said, God moves in our moving. God's not only to be studied, he is also to be experienced. And in order to experience him, we must get involved with him. The only way to experience God or receive anything from God is to participate in the process. If you don't remember anything I just said about this participatory necessity just remember this, you need to participate in the process. Number five, acceptance that releases freedom. The church should be a place where anyone, yes, I said anyone, can find unconditional love and acceptance. Understand, acceptance deals with people not behavior. Rejection should not deal with people, it should deal with behavior. This means that we, the church, should be free of bigotry, racism, legalism, denomina denominationalism, and any other ism or attitude that prejudges people. Acceptance frees people to be who they are as well as to become the people God is making them into. I do not expect well people to go to the hospital. I expect sick people to go to the hospital. They go to the hospital in their condition of sickness so that the hospital experience can make them well. 2 Corinthians 3 and 17 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, what? There is liberty. And although this verse certainly means that the Spirit of God gives freedom from bondages, addictions, and destructive lifestyles, the actual context of the verse refers to freedom from legalism, freedom from a religious system of do's and don'ts, or touch not, taste not, handle not. Nurturing an atmosphere of acceptance does not mean permissiveness or permissive love or coddling people in their sin. Neither does it mean lowering our moral or our ethical standard. There are times when we must confront and challenge someone who is living in a, a, a matter that is uh, against scripture. 
but an atmosphere of acceptance assures that such a confrontation can be carried out in love and from a genuine desire to see the other person being made whole rather than condemning the person because of whatever the lifestyle might be. We must be careful to keep ourselves and even GMFC free from all impurity and immorality. At the same time, we cannot help people if we do not have an atmosphere that says, come into the house of God to gain your deliverance. Come into the house of God and find real life. Our goal is not to change people into our image or our ideal of who they should be, but bring them into the presence of God where Holy Ghost is working and Holy Ghost can change them into the image of Christ. Number six, we need in the church, and really these are universal, but we need in the church because it has to start in the church God is coming to bring his church in order first. We need as a people, number six, to embrace order. The apostle Paul said that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. First Corinthians 14 and 33. Any church that wants to become a transforming power in its community must resist the mentality that says God has to be or, or God has to have a chaotic atmosphere before God can begin to move. God is a God of order. Let me say that again for you. God is a God of order. If you look at creation, creation reflects an aspect of who God is. And creation screams order. God sets up rank and authority and measure. Order does not mean boring or restrained. It simply means doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. Because God is orderly, it is possible for us to welcome a strong moving of his spirit and still embrace order. In fact, disorderly uh, proceedings are a clue that the spirit of God is truly not in control. We must be open to the spirit, but also careful to ensure that everything that is being done is being done decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14 and 40. Number seven, we're getting towards the end of these. Uh, I'm, I'm trying not to be belabor the point, but I want to get all 10 of these out to you today. Number seven, increase with integrity. Increase with integrity. God's people ought to be increased. The church ought to prosper. Now, I'm not talking about a gospel of excess, but of success. God said that he wants his people to prosper. After all, the first commandment he gave to man was to be fruitful and multiply, fill and subdue the earth. Our original mandate from God was a mandate of prosperity and success. And God has never rescinded that mandate. God does not get any glory out of broken, beaten down, poor people 
<coughs> excuse me, who can't feed their kids or churches that can't pay their bills. He wants us to succeed. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of success, a triumph, a victory. God told Joshua that if he meditated on the law daily and obeyed it faithfully, he would have good success. Joshua 1 and 8. 1 John 4 and 4 assures us that he who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Deuteronomy 8 and 18 says that it is God who gives us power to get wealth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and everything that dwells therein. Psalms 24 and 1. He owns all the gold, all the silver, the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalms 50 and 10. God delights in the prosperity of his servants. God uh, is, prosper is a prospering God. He's a blessing God. He's a God of increase. But it's increase with integrity. Increase with integrity means being responsible and honorable with the wealth and assets that God blesses us with. It means understanding that God did not call us just to be wage earners, but asset owners. He did not call us to live from paycheck to paycheck, but to invest our paycheck as our seed to get a profitable return. It means being uh, committed to pulling our own weight or paying our own way and not expecting breaks or deals just because we're Christian. It means paying our bills on time and developing a reputation as the most trustworthy people in town when it comes to money. It means always treating people well and using every opportunity to bless others as we have been blessed. It means not amassing wealth to yourself so you can live in a 20,000 square foot house and brag about it. It, but buy a 3,000 square foot house and then take the rest of that money and bless somebody else that is homeless with a house. God blesses you to be a blessing. You've heard me say this before. Don't be a damn. Don't be a damn. Don't be the very thing that clogs or blocks the blessings of God or keeps the blessings of God in one place. Be that which the blessings of God can flow through you to minister to the needs of others. Number eight, we need to be generationally minded. Generationally minded. This means understanding that although we are called to serve the purposes of God for our generation, we are also responsible for preparing the next generation that comes behind us. Many churches are ineffective in making a difference in their communities because they plan only for the season that they are in and not for their future. Being generationally minded means understanding that what we do not accomplish, our children will accomplish because we will put them on our shoulders and launch them into 
into the next generation. And we do this by instilling in our children the truth that success is within their grasp because God has designed them to be uh, prosperous. People rise to the level of the atmosphere that they are in. It is for this reason that we should surround our children with excellence. The church's resources for training the next generation should be superior to any, uh, you know, anything else that's available in the secular uh, world that, in, that we live in, that we function in, including public and private schools. We cannot give our children substandard ministry in substandard facilities and expect the gospel to increase. We must show them that the Christian faith is not a hobby, but it relates to the very purpose of life itself. Let's surround our children with excellence. They deserve our very best. When we do what we can do, God will do what he can do. When we do what we can do, God will do what we cannot do. If we learn to lean not to our own understanding, our own ability, but trust God, God will put the anointing in the classroom and our children will receive something on Sundays that will shift everything that they hear for the remainder of the week. We have to be serious about what we're involved in. Number, number nine, identifiable leadership we have a lot of people that have leadership titles but we don't have a lot of leaders we need identifiable leadership this characteristic is closely related to the characteristic of things being in order Few things have more potential for destruction of, of a healthy church than confusion in leadership. Without clearly defined leadership, visitors uh, to the church, whether non-believers, new believers, or anyone else, uh, won't know who it is that they have to listen to and can easily fall prey to every self-appointed prophet, evangelist, or missionary who wants to share with them a word from God. When people don't know who to listen to, they will listen to everybody. Knowing who to listen to is almost as important as knowing what to listen to because the quality of the teaching depends on the quality of the teacher and the soundness of the leadership depends upon the soundness of the leader. The Apostle Paul put it like this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. Through, through 13 and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Trained, approved, appointed, trustworthy, and clearly identifiable leaders eliminate confusion and protect the body of Christ and the reputation of the name of Jesus, but helping uh, also to ensure no erroneous teaching, half-baked ideas, or misguided projects are released that will wreak havoc either in the church fellowship or in our greater community. We need to have leaders that are bold enough to stand up and declare truth, even if that truth hurts somebody's feelings. 
And the 10th point I want to leave with you today. We need ministering members. You see, <clears throat> ministry is not reserved for the professional minister or the so-called clergy elite. Every Christian, every believer is a minister, which means that every Christian has a ministry. Every believer has a ministry. We all have something of value to add. Now, some people's ministry is in the church, while others minister in the community as coaches, teachers, tutors, business professionals, volunteers, healthcare professionals, law enforcement professionals, bus drivers, mechanics, and so on. Some work in the hospice or in unwed mother's homes, while others work in community services. Virtually any type of legal or moral work or occupation can be a ministry when it is done for the glory and the honor of God. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, Acts 20 and 35. In order to be fulfilled in life, we all must find something to do that takes us out of ourselves, something for which the only reward we receive is the joy that comes in serving others. As we minister in Jesus' name, no matter what form our ministry takes, his light shines through us and the world sees him. This is what Jesus meant when he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5 and 16. You see, one of the reasons people don't turn and glorify our Father in heaven is because when they look at us, they hear a whole lot of talk, but they don't see a whole lot of works. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. A culture transforming church is made up of ministering members who understand that the world will never be changed until every believer gets out of the pew and steps into the front line. We have to have this desire that I want to transform my church by the power of Christ so that we in turn can transform the territory where our church is planted and then from there transform the world. Now next week I want you to tune back in with me because next week I will lay out the process for transformation. What goes on to bring transformation about. Next week, I'm going to open your heart and your mind and, and, and your understanding to see how to take what we've been talking about over the last two weeks and put it into practice so that you can see the process of transformation take shape right before you. But I thank you for today. Take these 10 characteristics that I've given you. Hold them dear to your heart. Meditate on them. Let God begin to minister to you where maybe in these 10 points you need to step up your game a little. My prayer is that God will use you in great and mighty ways. You don't have to be a pastor, a bishop, or anything. You could be a director in public service understanding that God put you there 
and allowing God's light to shine greatly and mightily through you is the only thing that will allow you to be successful in the very position that he's placed you. He calls, he anoints, he appoints, he equips. This is what I told the ministry leaders that I'm in relationship with this morning. He has so equipped you for the very thing in which he has called you. And if you lean on him, if you allow him to function in and through you, you will see success in your position, in your ministry, such as you've never seen before. Lives will be changed. Culture will be changed. Atmospheres will be changed. And God will be glorified. I thank you and I salute you each today for your time and your attention. Have a blessed Sunday, an amazing week in the Lord. God bless you. This has been a production of the GMFC Studios. God bless you.